Welcome back to the Travel Brand Podcast. I am you, Winton. I hope you're all well. I just got done watching the third round of the Masters, and Tiger Woods is tied for second. Amazingly enough, I've always been a big sucker for redemption, and he's going to redeem himself. I love it when a man comes back and redeems his name, his history, his family. I mean, what better place for Mr. Tiger Woods to redeem himself 100% but to come back and win the Masters? Something he hasn't done since 2005, I believe. He's looking pretty good today. Not great. Missed some putts, but looking pretty sharp. Yes, if he can redeem himself and prove all those other guys out there that said, Oh, Tiger, he's done. Tiger will never, ever, 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 ever win another major, let alone a tournament. Well, look what he's done. He won a tournament last year at the end of the season, and now he's got a really good shot of winning the Masters. Now, let's face it, Tiger Woods, he was pretty much at the bottom of the barrel, for a, especially for a golfer. Got caught messing around on his wife. She beat him up with a golf club. Scared him so bad he ran his car into a tree. Yeah. Don't do that, guys. And then, a couple years ago, he gets pulled over high on pills. You guys remember that mugshot? Yeah. He was looking pretty effed up, man. He looked like he had one pill too many. His car all dented up and scratched up. That Tiger Woods... When he hit bottom, he hit bottom pretty hard. I love listening to the golf analysis guys talking about, oh yeah, Tiger, he's back. He's back. I knew he was going to come back. A couple years ago, it's the same old knuckleheads that were saying, no, I don't ever see Tiger winning again. He's He's done. Shame on you. So, redemption is where it's at. Sometimes I think I'm on a lifelong journey for redemption. Seems like whenever I get something good going in my life, I... F it up a little. I do something to knock me in the dirt. And what do I do every time? Batman always rises, gets back up, brushes himself off, and goes at it again. This one here, the one I got to redeem myself for this time? Four more years. Four more years of my life. I'll be redeeming myself. And what's that old saying? The cream always rises to the top. And I do believe that Tiger Woods is the best golfer that there ever was. Yeah, you had your Jacks and your Arnie's, Arnie Palmer, you know, all them guys. Tiger Woods had to deal with a lot of injuries too, surgeries. It's like four surgeries on his knees, I think. Back surgery. He's fused. His back is fused. It's like fused together. I don't know exactly what that means, so I had to look it up. And apparently what they do is they take two or three vertebra, and they essentially weld them together so they cannot slip and slide on one another like they're supposed to. See, I guess there's some nerves and whatnot in there that if they rotate, it hurts. So they fuse them together. So he's out there with all these surgeries, and he's fused, not to mention he got beat up by his wife. Remember now, That plays a toll on a man's psyche. Very much so. 
I have first-hand experience in such a thing. Yeah, but I'm not going to tell you about it right now, because it's sort of emasculating, if you know what I'm saying. And also, let's not forget the color of Tiger Woods' skin. Now, he's not Euro-American. He is a lot of different things. So, him being out there, proving himself this weekend, is awesome to me. I love it. Don't get me wrong, I love a good game of golf. I'm not very good at it, but I like to go out there and beat it around a little bit, smack it around. I'm primarily just a hack when it comes to golf. Unfortunately, after surgery on my shoulder, I won't be playing much golf. You see, it's rotation that is the problem, okay? I can't rotate the shoulders up and around, okay? It's not like I played a lot of golf, but now if I wanted to go golf, my injury may play a part in my recreational activities. So what I'm thinking is this is a little bit of a quality of life issue, a little bit of pain and suffering, if you know what I'm saying. Now, Elle and I, they paid for my surgery. Yes, they did. But I injured myself on the job. So that means I have certain rights that were given to me by my employer and the wonderful state of Washington. So I think that it's time for my compensation to be dealt with. Let's say something happens and I can't be a superintendent. Let's say the market just goes to crap and there's not much left and I have to go back to framing. Wood framing, steel stud framing, whatever, because you all know I'm a framed carpenter. That's what I do. And it calls for me to do this full time. And I can't do it because my shoulder won't allow me to do so. So what am I supposed to do? I can't go work at McDonald's. It doesn't pay enough. I have worked at McDonald's many, many, many years ago. That's right. Batman worked at McDonald's, Burger King, Denny's. Yeah, I was a dishwasher. Yeah, I was a cook. Yeah. I was a prep cook, and I was a waiter. In fact, I waited tables in St. Petersburg, Florida, at Carmelita's Mexican Restaurant. I made decent money. I mean, it was kind of weird back in, like, 1995, 94, down in Florida. The only thing they had to pay you was $2.35 an hour, I think it was, but you made your tips. That's where you made your money, on your tips. So, with that $2 and some odd cents they paid me, that paid basically for my taxes. So I took home cash, baby. And back then, down in Florida, $500 a week, that was some pretty good coin back then. But unfortunately, back in 94 and 95, my alcoholism was starting to grab hold of my ass again. It was starting to get into my head. So... I lost my uh, sobriety for a little while. It was touch and go there for a minute. Touch and go. So I came back to Washington, December 1995. When I got back here, I didn't have any winter clothes. All I had was shorts, tank tops, tennis shoes, socks, a couple t-shirts. And you know what else came along? Jumped on my back and, like a monkey, rode me all the way from Florida. That alcoholism was right there with me. Saw me through the whole thing. So I stayed drunk pretty much until 
2000. Yeah, a good five-year run, man. Any of you who have ever lived on a reservation, there's usually a village drunk. That was me. I was that village drunk. Any reservation you're on, you'll see this. I was that guy. I was that guy for about five years. It's not like I was super bad or anything. I was just that guy. And you all have that guy in your family, whether it be an uncle, a brother, a cousin, a dad. We all have that guy in our family. Well, that was me. That was Pat Man. And amazingly enough, I lasted and I didn't die like a lot of them other guys do. My wife and I were just talking about it the other night. We all have a guardian angel, I think. We decided that we must have. I must have a guardian angel. Why else would I be alive now? I should have been dead 35 years ago. I should have been dead when I was in high school. In fact, I was just talking to my second foster mommy last week. They were the second home I went into after I left that Indian home there in Deming. They put me in a foster home that had white people and... Here it comes. They were Christian people. But I gotta tell you, these people cared. These people loved me, and they wanted to see that I succeed. But by the time I got there, I was already an animal. I was already that guy that trusted no one, listened to no one, did what I wanted to do. I was a stoner. I drank too much. I was an alcoholic, man. I'd already been a living babysitter since I'm eight years old, all the way to then, except for the couple of years I lived at Jean's house where I was left alone every night and weekends to just be by myself and isolate. It's funny how that happens because I still isolate. I'm still perfectly happy being by myself, reading a book, watching TV, doing whatever. I don't need anybody around me to make me feel good. Probably why I don't have a bunch of friends is because I'm perfectly fine by myself. Anyway, Terry Marshall and I were talking about when I first got there and how I remember they used to ground me every time I would stay out all night. And Keith told me, for every time you stay out all night, you're going to get grounded for one week. So next thing you know, I'm grounded for three weeks, four weeks. Pretty soon I'm grounded for six months. And I would do the same thing. I, I was like that res dog. You know that res dog you see running around? doing whatever the hell he wants just to survive, looking for food, looking for shelter, doing whatever, wouldn't listen. That was kind of like what I was like, man. I was just, uh, I wouldn't listen to anybody. I didn't care about anybody. And it was really, really sad how I treated these people who really wanted me to do well. And we got to talking about the time I borrowed a car from a friend to go see another friend and I'm driving up in the mountains, up by Mount Baker, Washington, on these roads that were right on cliffs. And I was drunk. I was drinking and driving. At that time, I think I might have been 17. And I hit the guardrail, and I was traveling so fast, it spun the car around. And I smashed into this rock wall, spun the car around, and I got out, and I kept walking to where I was going. I got there. The next day... I hitchhike into the city, and I go to my grandparents' house. The grandparents had adopted my mother. Well, actually, my granddad, because my grandmother died. And I'm sitting there, and I know I'm in some deep shit. I know I'm in the doo-doo now. So I just wait. Pretty soon, the phone starts ringing. Pretty soon, 
questions are having to be answered. Next thing you know, the cops are showing up. Batman's arrested for taking that car without permission. They didn't say I could take it. The irony of it is this. My buddy's parents were happy I took their car because the insurance gave them a bunch of money to replace their car. He was saying that he was looking for a new car anyway. So they almost thanked me. They didn't even get mad. And I was thinking, wow, I just basically stole somebody's car, wrecked it, didn't get hurt, and I didn't really get in much trouble. I'm like a superhero. You ever wonder why there's not very many American Indian superheroes? Like, what if they'd have made Superman a real live Indian? That would have been something. That would have been awesome, man. The whole thing is, when you do something like that, breaking the law, almost dying, could have killed somebody else because I was drunk, I was driving, probably should have been something more as far as consequences and repercussions. I'm sure I got grounded again. I did feel really bad for a while. I, I thought, man, that was really selfish of me to do that. But I was drunk. I never did anything bad unless I was drinking. I learned how to drive drunk. I learned how to drive a stick shift when I was drinking. Drinking and driving, for me, was like a natural thing. My daddy did it. My granddaddy did it. My mama did it. So I must have to do it. I have a lot of experience with drunken driving. As a child, I would be in the cars all the time with the drunk adults. It was just the way it was, man. In fact, it was commonplace for our parents to leave us in the car while they went inside the tavern. And many, many times they would close down that tavern at 2 a.m. in the morning. So no matter what time they got there, no matter what time they arrived, my sister and myself would have to sit there and wait, and wait, and wait. And sometimes I'd have to sit out in the car by myself because I'd be hanging out with Gene, and he would decide, Oh, I'm going to stop in and have myself a beer. You wait. That's not normal. That's not normal. Nowadays, if you do that kind of crap, you get yourself arrested, and the welfare department comes to take you away. Next thing you know, you're back in the system again because your parent couldn't stay off the bottle long enough to get home and drop you off. That's too far to travel. We don't want to drive 10 miles back into town and then drive 10 miles back out to the tavern. So we'll just leave them in the car. They'll be all right. And we'll bring them something to eat every once in a while. Give them the keys so they can listen to the radio. Jeez, I went off on a little bit of a tangent there. Anyway, getting back to talking to my foster mommy, she asked me how they did as foster parents. How did they do? I straight up told her, I said, well, you guys saved my life. Even though I was a turd, even though I was a reckless little turd I learned something they taught me something they taught me to be a better person somehow they taught me how to work had my first job when I lived with my foster parents summertime job cutting trail for the Whatcom County Parks Department I made two dollars and 13 cents an hour so every other week I bring home a big fat whopping check for about 141 dollars yes sir every two weeks was awesome. I used that money to buy school clothes and stuff. 
But I think that's where I really learned my first job ethics, where you get up and you go to work. That's what you do. That's what I did. That's what I still do. So in the end, I told her that I believed that they saved my life. And these people were white people and Christian people, but they did not cram their Christianity down my throat. What they did is they just wanted me to be a better person, stop drinking. He suggested Alcoholics Anonymous. So I went there when I was 16 years old. These people loved me enough to where even after I turned 18, they wanted me to stay there. And they wanted to help me get into college to have an education. They wanted me to be an educated Indian. But they didn't see me as an Indian. They just saw me as their foster son. These people were good people. So I don't uh, hate on the Euro-Americans. I don't really hate on anybody. Just like I said before, I hate the history. Keith passed away about 10 years ago. Uh, maybe 12. And that was a sad thing. feel bad for Terry and the kids. But Terry has finally found love again. And she's going to remarry sometime this year. So I'm really happy for her. I haven't received my invitation yet. If I get invited, my wife and myself will go to that. For show. Recently I read something on the Twitter. There was a picture on there that a American Indian posted. And it showed a t-shirt. A cartoon characters. And it showed little Indians on there saying, One little, two little, three little Indians. Have you heard this one yet? I remember this one when I was a kid. And I didn't understand it, of course. Because you have to remember, when I was a little kid, I didn't know I was Indian. So anyhow, I noticed these kids are sitting around in a circle, cross-legged. A lot of them refer to sitting cross-legged as Indian style. Now, where did that come from? Just because you're sitting on the floor cross-legged, that means you're sitting Indian style? Does that mean that nobody in the world ever sat that way? So the Indians get that. I'm sitting on the floor Indian style. And they were singing, One little, two little, three little Indian, Four little, five little, six little Indians, Seven little, eight, nine little Indians, Ten little Indian boys. And the next verse, it would just reverse itself and go backwards and count down from ten. Okay? This song was written back in the 1860s, mid to late 1860s. It was, and then, now get this, they changed it to 10 little N-word boys because they just felt like they should do that. But they quit using the N-word after they realized that it was a little bit uh, racist and a little too insensitive to the blacks. So they changed it back to 10 little Indians and then they got it to Ten little soldiers, and then ten little bunnies. And finally they went to ten little rabbits. But what they did was, they dressed the rabbits in American Indian clothing. Leathers and feathers and moccasins and all that ridiculous stuff. So what started out as a nursery rhyme for children back in the mid to late 1860s was really a song about death, murder, and genocide. 
something they were teaching the children back then, that this is okay. It's okay to sit around Indian style in a circle and sing this song. It's okay. It's innocent. There's nothing wrong with it. And the book that Agatha Christie wrote, which was titled Ten Little Indians, was retitled to Ten Little N blank 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 RS. And then it was retitled to And Then There Were None. Those were the last words in the nursery rhyme. And then there were none. In other words, there were no more Indians. Yeah, that song was racist. It was about genocide and death. So if you ever catch your little kids singing these songs, you need to make them stop. You need to make them go pick up a book and read. Read about the true history of the American Indian in the United States of America. They were treated really poorly, really badly, and it's still happening today. I'll go into depth next time. I hope I didn't rant and rave too much. I hope I didn't go too far off the path, as it were. Mariners got their asses whooped last night, but, you know, that's going to happen. They need to redeem themselves tonight. They need to beat Houston. Redemption. That's the topic of the day. Redemption. Well, I hope you all have a great week. I am New Winton. This has been the Tribal Brand Podcast. Peace.